but yeah i mean what is it that makes somebody metal i think the the stereotypical thing is like if you have tons of like piercings and like tattoos and you wear like chains and like that's a, yeah. that was dude that was where side chaining started when people were <laughs> those like chains <laughs> and since then it's evolved to software <laughs> wow that ripped off it like that <laughs> Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, Editor-in-Chief of the Unst.com and your vaccine specialist. Um, you want to buy some vaccines? Bill's guest this week is Mark Akubo of the metalcore band Veil of Maya. Birthed in Chicago, these gent lords have been a huge influence on Bill's metal productions. And Mark is a crazy talented guitarist who has done playthroughs for fans and is heavily involved in the programming and production of his band. This is a wildly fascinating conversation for fans of all varieties of music, but uh, metalheads are freaking out right now. I know it. Thanks to everyone who's been rating the show and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcatcher they use. It really helps people find the show. Please join the Patreon to get early access to episodes, bonus content, and full video of every podcast. Last week, Mr. Bill's Discord server dropped its first collaborative EP. The Beleagle Immigrants present Slapnia, a four-track EP under the theme of Dreams. Primo, Sofro, Elderp, and Bill, each project managed one of the tracks, and producers in the server told them what to do. Nearly 40 artists were involved in making these tunes, and they came out great. Join the Beleagle Immigrants Discord server to become a part of the madness, and if you just want to hear the album, go to Mr. Bill's Bandcamp page. Finally, head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. Bill has added a new micro tutorial feed and he's been dumping a ton of great content in there. Bill is the Mark Zuckerberg of his very own social media platform where only he is allowed to post. It's practically utopian. All right, enjoy Bill's chat with Mark Akubo. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. She got the count in for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> four, four on this one. Yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, cool, man. How you doing? I'm great, man. How are you been? I've been good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for taking the time to do the the podcast. Dude, my pleasure. I haven't done anything like like this so long. I kind of forgot that that I was like a musician at one point or something. <laughs> yeah, what's what's been going on for for you? Because I figure like you've got a pretty weird experience during COVID. Because your main thing um, pre COVID was like the shows, right? That was my everything. Honestly, like I, I was, uh, I spent the the last year prior working in a studio on an album that I wasn't like it didn't turn out the way that I had wanted it to. So I had a lot of pressure on that. So in, in one way, like having, having the year get canceled was kind of a blessing in disguise so I could have time to work on it. <clears throat> and like, because of the, the whole like post COVID depression kind of thing, like my creativity was kind of like, I just kind of wasn't into 
to making my best material yet at that moment. Mm. So recently I took like a few months off and went out of town and kind of just turned my phone <laughs> off and kind of got back into, you know, the things that used to make me happy before it was always pressure on writing a new song or what the next tour would be. And I think I found myself again and got my mojo back. So now I'm like all excited to work and make improvements on my life and my studio. And, and now I can, you know, hear something and want to recreate my own version of it. Or like, you know, I just have the inspiration to create music again. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of felt the same way. <clears throat> I think a little bit of it has to do with, um, the fact that like shows were such a sort of like, um, like a propellant for creativity because yeah. you're constantly like, Oh man, I need to like make the heaviest thing for the mosh pit or like, I have to make the danciest thing for like this show I have next weekend or whatever. And, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And without like, with all those shows just getting like ripped out from under you, it's then all of a sudden you're like, well, fuck, why am I even like making music? Like, like that was the whole thing I was making it for and that's gone. So like, what do I do now? Yeah. I mean, especially with like, with our kind of music, which is pretty much uh, like, derived off the live experience you're, you're, you're like you're trying to to get the energy of the room and and make them all make it all explode and now now that i can't go go to a show and get inspired by like the energy and see what, what people are reacting to like kind of just have to imagine the future or whatever and be like create what the next exciting thing is going to be with you know just with your dreams and imagination it's always a little bit like that though, right? Like I, I always feel like to some degree in the studio, I'm always writing music for an abstract audience that doesn't exist, but it only exists like in my mind. Yeah. I have a few different methods. Like that, that's one way I'll start a song where it's like, this is appealing to me. And then, then like, sometimes I'll be like, I'll get really excited when I hear a new song and I like, I really like this. So I'll kind of like map out the song and how it goes and then like i'll write my own version of the song and then completely change it into my own thing and something else and then that, that'll just end up being you know something completely different you wouldn't even be able to tell where, where what i referenced or anything and hmm. I, I just like having different approaches like that <clears throat> yeah i feel like taking uh out outside stimulus for writing is like a good idea so i don't think um like creativity exists in a vacuum at all I don't think like anybody ever just gets an idea that was solely their own and was not influenced by any external thing at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's all like sub subconsciously every song or sound I've ever heard as an infant, probably it's all just programmed into me. that. And then yeah. like all the songs like are all like influenced by other songs and it always just goes back to something. Yeah, exactly. It's like due to everything that's been loaded into the system, like into your system over your lifetime, your synapses are all primed in this like very specific way that you like don't have control over or don't understand. And they're always going to like spit out <laughs> things. But um, yeah, I think, uh, well, like I do similar things, right? Like I try and I have these kind of like mechanisms in my writing process to, uh, to like jolt creativity. So for instance, you, you said like one of your mechanisms is, um, loading a song up that that you really like and then kind of like writing over the top of it as like a sketch or something like that um yes. yeah so i made a giant list of these recently i've got like a hundred of these like mechanisms that i if i get stuck i just reference this list and go like oh yeah i'll try that um and it's stuff like uh let's see um like 
picking random samples and stuff like that uh there's what's another one using oh one thing i do a lot is i'll put like a spotify playlist on and i'll just like have it randomly playing like out of some playlist that of like a style of music that i don't usually listen to like 80s funk or something like that and then i'll just like write music as the spotify playlist is playing like i'll just be writing over the top of it sort of and um yeah and just like having that like stimulus come in whilst I'm also making music just sort of constantly jolts ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, for, for some reason, like I, I had this same kind of thing with doing homework as a kid too. Like if, if I was like in study hall or something and every, and there's like lots of people talking around me and just a lot of white noise from all that, I, I find it easier to just get work done. So like often I'll have like planet earth on on another screen or like the news going or something, just background noise kind of just like, so I can create the soundtrack to it. But when it comes to music, yeah. Like I'll just be like, Oh, this Metallica song. It's like, they do like, you know, four parts of this part, four parts of this to do a little transition here. And I can, I don't have to make a Metallica riff there, but I can just make a riff that I would make and just restructure it. Just be like, okay, for, for this riff and transition here and that, and then it would sound completely like me still but have like a metallica template or something yeah um do you ever do like creative limitation type stuff in your writing process like where you won't allow yourself to do certain things so for instance like one of these examples for my uh my like for what i do in electronic music is i'll try to make as much of the tune as i can on like a single channel in ableton or i'll try and make as much of the tune as i can in like a single one instance of a plugin like yeah. just try and build as much of the beat and the baseline and just everything using like really, you know, insane LFO routing and crazy stuff like that. Just, and I find these limitations make me think a lot differently about how I'm making the song as well. Yeah. I mean, I actually do something very similar, not, not as technical, but like, since I'm primarily a guitar player, um, every time I pick up a guitar, no matter like how much I practice, I end up doing like the same three or four things every time I pick it up, just out of force of habit. So I found once I started uh, using Ableton exclusively, um, I've, I've been enjoying writing on piano rolls, like maybe starting with a drum beat or just writing with a piano and writing with my brain with the MIDI notes and just drawing notes in instead of going straight to something my fingers are programmed to do like something I would always do that way. Like when, when I transpose the melodies I make into guitar, it ends up being new fingering positions and things that I would have never thought of before. And it like ultimately can add like new techniques to guitar playing because I'm thinking of it as more of a note based thing as in, instead of a guitar technique, I guess. Right. Yeah. You're having to like learn these songs that you'd never would have written based on your muscle memory and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think that's like helped develop my my sound because um, instead of my sound being like a like a combination of songs I learned growing up, now it's just whatever my brain can think of at that given moment. Do you ever do any like weird shit with the instrument, like just string it up backwards or something, or like? Um, no, I, I don't. I mean, that, that is a, a useful technique that a lot of bands use. Um, I had to fill in on guitar for the band volumes and, um, they, they change guitar tunings like maybe three times in their set. And I noticed that their lowest, the lowest tuning they use is the same low note that I use in my tuning for Veil of Maya. So 
I just decided to learn all their songs in my tunings. So I didn't have to learn, like I didn't have to switch guitars at all during the set, mm. but it was also like a good practice <clears throat> exercise to be like, well, like you're supposed to be playing like open notes or something like that. But I, I learned it my way. So <laughs> I, I could, I don't know. So my guitar is my instrument. I don't need to change tunings to like compensate for whatever band I'm playing with. Mm, it's interesting. How, how many hours a day would you say you're playing guitar now? Uh, well, right now I'd be lucky to be playing for an hour a day because I'm setting so many other things up. But um, I think I've gotten the point where like, no, like uh, having the technical ability to to play the sounds that I want to. Like I know I know deep down I can do it, especially if I practice a lot. So I'm more concerned with with every time I pick up a guitar, recording something and creating, rather than you know spending hours practicing what I made. I, I'll, I'll do that after I make make a song I'm truly happy with. Right, gotcha. Yeah, and then I guess like it's just sort of like loading in the muscle memory for that one song rather than yeah. having. To it just... is a lot harder now that I'm older to just like learn something on the spot and be able to play it perfectly. Like my brain is not as spongy as it was in my teen years, but. If I have it recorded and I know it sounds good, I'll, I'll keep on I'll keep on playing until it sounds exactly like that. So, hmm. what was your um like guitar routine like for getting good back in the day, like when you're trying to get really good? <laughs> well, that was um, I mean, I was I was determined to. I mean, it was it was a lot of anger, honestly, a lot of anger, and I think I ch I like to channel that into like my, my guitar playing to kind of prove everybody wrong <laughs> and you know I, I ended up being a not very happy person for for you know a few years but once once my musical project finally started taking off it was like oh like i was right you know like screw hmm. you guys like i mean because everyone's obviously like if this is something you wanted to do when you were young like everyone's it during when I grew up, everyone was advising me to spend my time focusing on like what college I wanted to go to or whatever. And that music is just not a realistic thing to, to get into. And I just wasn't having that. So I've, I just, I mean, I, I got sent to Catholic school originally, which was really bad for me. So I'd end up just not doing homework and going straight home playing guitar for like six hours mm -hmm. a day until, until my fingers mm -hmm. would and I guess I would do, I did that for maybe a year or two. And then it got to the point where it's like, you know, I have the technical ability to do what I want. Now it's just practicing, learning songs or new things or putting it all together. It's like, uh, that, like the one year of practicing for six hours a day pretty much was like the learning gap of, of being just the level guitar I wanted to be at. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Like how quick you can get super good at something when you're young, if you do it for like a shitload of time every day. Right. Like there's these kids now who are like, I don't know, like 15 years old who are like better producers than I am. And it's, they're just going onto YouTube and like figured out what they, what they want to do with like yeah. write tutorials. And then they just like, have obviously sat around doing it like for a ton of time every day and they're you know maybe not quite as distracted or whatever because they don't have you know other life shit going on and Dude, well, yeah and also there's people like you putting out uh tutorials on how to do everything where it's like when we were growing up we didn't have anything close to that it's all trial and error mm, yeah totally yeah i mean and these days it's like for people like you and i 
uh, you know, you for guitar and me for Ableton, it's like almost beneficial that we do that now with the way the industry works. Right. Cause it's like by putting stuff like that out, you know, for instance, you don't have to pay for guitars anymore. You get like endorsed by Jackson or whatever. And like, for me putting out tutorials, it's like, you know, out of that, I'm able to subsidize, uh, income from like getting people subscribed to my website and like all this kind of shit. Yeah. Whereas, it's well, like you, you have to do that these days to make a living in the music industry. Yeah, that's that's something I'm I've kind of been preparing to transition over to, but like the, a lot of that is just uh you know my confidence is based off of the live performance, and now this is like a whole new confidence that I've had to build to want to you know stream my my process of writing music or or even playing video games or whatever. It's just not what I'm used to doing in front of people. It's like it's like a me thing so it's, i've just noticed that like it seems since we don't know when live shows will come back for certain like everyone's kind of having an online persona that that they're keeping up with yeah what do you think um the live show stuff is going to be like when it comes back do you think there's it's like just going to be this floodgate opening up thing and there's just going to be fucking a million shows um i do know that like people want shows back because I, I did attend like a few of the parking lot, social distance DJ events in Chicago last year. And it was really, really, I mean, people were so excited. Um, I think it'd be different for metal. Um, but part, I mean, I, I just, the way I think about things is so weird. It's just like, are masks going to be a thing for forever now? <laughs> or, um, is everyone always going to be nervous about getting sick from something? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I know that for me, have, have, having having a year now of, of not performing live is so crazy to imagine, like, like tomorrow, if we were to wake up and go play a festival for thousands of people based <laughs> off of me sitting at home for, like, the last year doing nothing, like, I can't yeah. even that that's like the same for the same person. Like that's the same shit I used to do. Yeah. Do you think um like you'd be super like if you had to go play a show tomorrow, do you think Bale or Maya would be like pretty sloppy? Or do you think Well, I mean hopefully we could play the set once before going on stage. But right. yeah, I mean I, I feel like my endurance would probably be much lower. Like I wouldn't be able to like run around and headbang with the same intensity as I was when <laughs> COVID happened. Yeah, man. Fucking metal is like a whole different thing to DJing. I just like sit behind the decks and like, well, I usually stand actually, but like I'm usually like standing behind the decks and just like, I don't know, drinking a fucking water and like pressing play on CDs. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is, there is an art to that too. And like reading the audience and all that, like I respect DJs, but, but when it comes to band stuff, it's like, we have to like have, like a, like a team of people that we bring with just to perform so yeah. instead of just flying someone over with a USB stick. It's like, we have to get all of our equipment. We have to get like a sound guy, like a tech to help <clears> with <throat> here, like all this stuff. <laughs> like, and it's just, is, is it, is it worth it to do like one show or, I mean, I don't know, but yeah, yeah we are planning on redoing our tour this fall still so i mean i guess we're gonna try and continue to be prepared for that no matter what cool so are you guys still rehearsing right now 
no not as a band we don't live all in the same area but i mean just keeping it in our heads and knowing that there's a date i also have to be <clears throat> finishing a record for that tour as well. so as soon as i'm done setting my place up which should be by the end of the week then i'm hardcore dedicated to finishing songs nice so are you like the primary writer for veil of maya then Yes, and with this album, I guess I'm doing the producing as well. But I mean, I've also I've always been kind of co-producing. That's you know, since it's like my my vision. Hmm. Who do you usually get to help you produce when you co-produce it? Well, just uh, whatever every everyone that I've worked with for all of our albums is usually like a a really talented guitar player that's most of the time in another band. Like I've made an album with Misha from Periphery. I made two albums with Michael Keane from The Faceless. And then the last people that I worked with were guitarists as well, uh, Max Shad and uh, Taylor. But um, but yeah, so it's like, it's just people, we, we speak the same language essentially already. So like, you know, it's just whoever can can make it happen quicker will take the, take the keys and, and put it in. Yeah, nice. Yeah, man. Producing metal is a whole fucking thing. It's like, I feel like it's a lot more complicated than producing electronic music because well, I, I think like it's complicated in the sense that um, you have this sort of like limited band to work in. It's like you, ha you sort of have to shave off like everything below like 60 hertz and then everything like above, I don't know, 12K or something. It's like this limited band and then you have to like just squeeze so much like distortion and shit through a stereo yeah. bus and well for you for you yeah i i don't think about things in a in a mixing aspect like at all really because <laughs> we have like you know someone to send our stuff out to so for me it's just it's just a template of like oh two guitar tracks like i, I write with a midi bass and midi drums and then there that's all i need i don't have to worry about sound design or anything so it's like for writing it at least it's it's super simple then i can just put like the uh, synth midi synths and as long as the notes are what i want we can change the instrument to to anything later right so you you make it all that way like basically you're just playing the guitars uh but everything else is midi and then you send it off to i guess the rest of the band and they learn all the parts and then they have to go to the studio and like record real bass and real drums and all that stuff yeah so i can handle the the bass and guitars here but uh we we set up um at our rehearsal spot we set up drum mics on on sam's drum kit like exactly the way that um our engineer instructed him to so the last song that we put out we recorded the drums ourselves actually and so we're just gonna leave that set up and finish the album back <clears throat> Oh, that's awesome. So you guys have like a permanent rehearsal space in Chicago or something? Yeah, we've had it like since the beginning of the band. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Damn, that's got to be like some overhead cost there for the band, yeah, <laughs> especially yeah. during COVID, like if you're not touring and stuff. Yeah, we, we have it budgeted with like you know, with our band account. I, obviously, we made a, a band LLC like a long time ago, so... That way we have a business and we can do everything the right way with that kind of thing. So that's just a business expense that we, we planned out for years in advance. So that gets right. covered by, I don't know, probably royalties or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, fuck, man. The whole band thing is like so different to DJing. So the way you guys get paid then as a band, are you just all on salary then? 
Yeah, well, we yeah we can set it up like that since we made our own fan account. <clears throat> so and that way uh, it's easier to figure out taxes. Like, so we set like what, what like twenty five percent of all all of our money into like a private account in the band account. So that way when it's tax season, we don't have to pay anything. And then sometimes we make extra back. It's been, it's been working out. So, but yeah, it is a lot, a lot more complicated than what, what my DJ have to go through. Yeah. It's like, we just get a bunch of money in our account. And then at the end of the year, just go like, how many shows do we do? How much do we make? Uh, how much did I spend on plugins? Uh, <laughs> and then like, yeah. how much did I spend on flights and shit? And then just, yeah, the rest is taxable or whatever. Um, you actually use a lot of plugins. I thought you were mostly just like Mr. Operator, Ableton, effects guy. Oh no, man! I own like every plugin basically. Oh, all right, all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bad at like buying. I probably buy like ten grand worth of plugins a year. Oh my! I didn't even know there was that many available. Yeah, dude. There's new shit coming out like all the time. But the thing is, it's like it's all tax deductible, right? So. Um, and I also get given like probably another five or 10 grand worth of plugins a year by companies. Yeah. So, I, I get hooked up with like guitar ones and stuff. So that, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I have a lot, but, um, curious to which ones uh, you think you you're like, you're into at the moment. Dude, there's this one called peel. Um, I don't think it would be useful for what you do, but it's really like, interesting for sound design stuff it's a like a spectral filter and it's just like a sort of square where the left right is uh, stereo and the up down is frequency and then you just like draw squares within it it's kind of like iris like isotope iris um and it just like splits the you can just split um frequencies out of things really nicely that's that's a cool one um the other shit i've been into is like these they're not even plugins they're like separate pieces of software one is called emission control 2 which is like this really crazy granulizer that richard divine told me about and then there's this other one called cecilia 5 which is like basically this guy's uh university project but it's like a shit ton of modules um inside this like really old school looking interface and it's just just tons of weird spectral modules and granular modules and all sorts of stuff See, once you get so many of those, it's like, doesn't it take hours to just pick which one would have the best results? Or you just, just like, I'll just try this one today. Or, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I feel like a lot of the electronic music process is like explorative, right? It's kind of like, you know, that Jay Diller sort of style, but instead of looking through old record crates to try and find like the perfect little loop to build a beat around, it's like, I'm just looking through pieces of software to try and find some like slightly new sound that i haven't found before and then yeah the song around that sound or whatever so do you do you use splice i do yeah um i try to use it as like little as possible just because i don't know there's something i i don't mind using samples and i think sometimes like you can like use a sample and you know often it works out great and sounds awesome but um i don't know there's something also cool about knowing that the sounds that you're using were only ever used in this one song you know yeah i agree with i agree with that for sure especially like i mean i've noticed um on our last album there was this omnisphere preset called in memoriam 2 and I've heard it on every like rap beat for the last five <laughs> years. I hear it every time I hear a commercial or something like there it is. There's in memoriam. It's like the most popular, like, uh, it's the most popular synth sound on Omnisphere, I think. So like, 
I don't know. I got I got to like start learning sound design so this doesn't happen to me again. Yeah, I mean, there's something. Yeah, that, that's the other thing too, right? It's like, um, like if you make the sound yourself, you can make it like super unique but you can also like get it very like bespoke and perfect for the piece of music that you're working on if you really know what you're doing too so it's like it doesn't have to just i feel like using presets is like quite often a compromise you know you're like oh it sounds pretty good fuck it it's fine like and you yeah. just convince yourself that it's good enough but like when you're dialing in a sound from scratch it's like you can really get it exactly how you want um, the equivalent, I guess, would be, you know, just like loading up a guitar preset tone in Axe Effects or something and like using that versus yeah. like sitting there and dialing in your tone for ages, which I know is like a thing that guitarists are, you know, super pedantic about. Yeah, so exactly. So that's for my creative process. I just load up all the presets because it's like, this sounds good enough. And then like, after I have like a segment of music that mm -hmm. I'm enjoy listening to then i can really start dialing it in and giving giving the mix a little personality and and doing it like that so it's like if i just take just the basic piano i've, been, I've written entire songs just with the piano like written the leads and the rhythms and everything and then all you got to do is just replace the midi with everything else and it, it all sounds real yeah do you when you record guitar record it in parallel with a dry signal using like the radial di's or whatever um, I have the setup to do that, but I just do the DI now and just use a guitar plugin. I mean, just because, I mean, my, my live aspect tone, it's fine or whatever, but it's, it's like, I, I think that if you can make, if you can make it sound passable with like the worst guitar plugin, then when you plug it in to something better, it'll sound perfect already. So like, I kind of like, I got used to, to tracking in, in with, well, I don't do this anymore, but uh, Diego from Volumes, rest in peace, he, he taught me to, he always used the Waves plugin called um, GTR, which is not like the most crazy guitar plugin out. But I mean, he would, he would do it so that everything was at 12 o'clock, no presets, and it just sounded like ass. And then we would track with that so that when we get it sounding really, really tight with that, and then the, it, the song would already sound pretty good just, just because it was tight, but then when you made like a better guitar tone, it would sound awesome just because mm. we made sure that all the mistakes are out in the most unforgiving tone already. Oh, that's a good idea. Uh, the other cool thing about recording um, a dry signal in, I found when I was getting into this a little bit was that uh, you can really edit a dry signal a lot better. And then when you reamp that edited dry signal, it sounds a lot cooler than if you edit a already distorted signal. Yeah, you can't fix the distorted signal. <laughs> you just can't yeah. do it. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, like, um, I found especially for like the genty parts, um, you can use that like forward looping beats mode, uh, in Ableton, and then like turn that um, what do you call it? It's like the transient looping mode that like goes forward and like hits the wall. It's like the arrow that hits the line, and then you like turn the amount down from a hundred to like I don't know eighty or something like that, and it makes the gentiness of it like super tight. And then see, that's that's all. That's like mad scientist stuff to me. Like <laughs> like uh, so, you're saying so that you like kind of automate the stops in between the the hits or, or something <laughs> like that or. So like, you know, uh, the warp modes in Ableton, right? You know how there's one called beats mode uh -huh. and then, you know, with beats mode, how it has like the, it has like a drop down menu that has like three types of arrows in it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you pick the fur, the one that like just has the arrow that like stops at the wall. It's called uh, transient looping. Like I think it's called like forward stop or something like that. It's like a certain mode. Um, so you're using the gate then, kind of. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So like um, each uh, hit like kind of gets cut shorter. Interesting. And then you run that through a distorted tone, and the distortion like naturally brings the tails back out in it. Uh, but it just sounds a shitload tighter than it ever could, you know, if you like played it. Yeah. I mean, that's one way to do it. I mean, I've noticed there's a lot of bands because this whole gent sound is kind of like become a little oversaturated and a lot of people are just taking one note and just chopping it up and putting it on all over the song. <laughs> you can just hear that. There's just no, I don't, there's no performance in it. And so like, now, I mean, there's a few ways to do it, but like, I try, I try and like, after I make my demo scratch track or whatever, then, then I want to re-record it and have as much of it be the real, the real take as possible. Cause I'm going to have to perform it live and it's going to have to sound just as machine, like just as computer generated, but with my actual hand. So I'm trying, I'm trying now to like master the performance part. <laughs> Camera is going out of focus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I feel like that's pretty funny. Somebody like just goes into the studio and uh oh yeah, there we go. They go into the studio and just like go and just record like one really sick <laughs> gent and then just like copy paste it all over the album. You can hear it because it'll have like a little artifact in there or something, then that just keeps on showing up over and over. Oh uh, gotcha, yeah. Yeah, it always sounds, I mean, maybe if you did a round robin thing, like you recorded 10 different gents or something and then just like had them play sequentially after one another. Or... Yeah, that's, I mean, I could see you programming something like that, but it's like, dude, if you're a guitarist, you know, just, just, just nail it. Just, or even just do like three notes of it at a time and then comp it together like that or something. Yeah, so it sounds at least like somewhat natural. <laughs> yeah, because you can hear your hands... <laughs> the strings and I, that's some of that's important some of it's noise that you want to cut out but some of it is like i don't know like sliding up to something or i don't know it's little inflections or would make guitar cool it's like the it's the one instrument that i think that would be like the hardest to fake and actually be believable yeah totally um uh, aside from like vocals maybe <laughs> i feel like vocals are the most unforgiving thing because uh like humans are just so attuned to listening to the voice because we hear it from day one basically yeah and it's the most relatable sound for sure. yeah exactly and like everyone can sing right like not everyone can sing good but everyone can do it so it's like uh almost people yeah, almost everyone but uh <clears throat> yeah it's uh drum go to the top songs on beatport they're all like vocal samples that were pulled off a of splice so <laughs> it's pretty, pretty much yeah yeah, I mean, people don't really know that, though, and people also don't give a shit. They're just kind of yeah. like, oh, whatever. It's <laughs> Yeah, if it's satisfying to listen to and it's a banger, then who gives a shit, like, how it was made, right? I Yeah, I agree, but until I find out that my favorite song was made by AI, then, then I'll get <laughs> kind of scared. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at that point, though, like, do you, do you still even care? It's like, <laughs> if it's a good tune, who cares? Like be like where's that ai like can i get it to pump out an endless stream of bangers for me or <laughs> yeah i mean with like the ultimate goal would just to have um have like a bluetooth out of my brain that just puts the song fully recorded in ableton that way i don't have to look for sounds or anything 
feel like once we get to the point of doing that, we're probably not going to be using Bluetooth to do it. It's like <laughs> probably going to be like some some slightly better signal, like OSC or something. Yeah, all of a sudden, like I'm like the most famous person on TikTok from imagining what the next song is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do things work with the with uh, the label? Are you still doing stuff with Sumerian? Yeah, well, we're on our last record with them. I mean, obviously, with Corona, things are a little confusing for everybody. But I mean, I talked with them today. We're still we're still trying to remain positive. And then all the money that we had spent on on our record already got got recouped from the singles that we put out. So that's really good news for us. Um, so yeah, we're we're safe. Um, and then once once. I'm in a really comfortable environment to start being creative again. I'm just going to go in and hopefully it's hopefully I find a healthy medium of everything I want to do and everything that, that the label wants us to do to get bigger. Cause I, I mean, they want me to do what I want to do, but we have the means to like push, push our stuff. So I'd like to be able to utilize those, those tools. How much of a say do they have in like what kind of music you make? Oh, no, they, they, they don't, they don't, I mean, we've been with them for so long that they like, I mean, there might've been little disagreements we had when we first started, but then once, once things came out the way that I, that, that I had planned it, they were like, okay, we trust you now. We, it's like your vision might not have been what was popular at that given moment, but there was a vision and it had meaning and it, it, it made its mark. And so now it's like, they, they have a lot of trust when, and like, it, they're, they're, they know me and they know my style. So like the songs I'm sending still sound like the same band. We're not yeah. going to completely change, I guess. Mm. Um, what, so you said like you're on your last album with them. Like what, what does that contract look like? Did when you like did your first album, were they just like, all right, we're going to like, we want like five more albums from you over the next 10 years or something? Um, no, actually we've signed with them twice. We did two, two, three album contracts. And so we're about to finish our second one. Damn, and like, what's the purpose of like signing a multiple album contract? Like, what's the benefit of doing that? Um, well, I can't speak for every band. Every band has a different contract, but ours uh, would our each each release that we would make, we would we would make uh, we'd have a bigger <clears throat> on on each one, mm. and that's primarily what the I mean, what it was. I think we had a pretty cool deal. And then we can like add in little details that, you know, are personal to our band. Right. Like they, so they say, all right, we're going to get you for three albums. We'll give you like X dollars for this one. Yes. But then on the next album, we'll give you X dollars times 1.2. And then on the next one, we'll give you X dollars times 1.5 or something. Yeah. And for us, it wasn't like X point dollars is like the minimum of X point dollars, which was cool. <laughs> right. And then, uh, basically the way it works is they give you whatever like uh, 50 grand to make an album and then you have to recoup all of those costs through streaming and shows before you start making any money um no well not exactly it just uh the money that comes in that we that we split um like the, our, our ours will go to to paying that back before before we get our chunk we get we get royalty checks like what like bi-yearly or whatever 
And so by that point, all, all of that stuff's been taken care of already. But when it comes to shows, that's completely different. That's that that's like booking agency and our band. And that has like, nothing to do with the label. Nothing to do with the label. Huh. Crazy. Yeah. The fucking metal industry is like super different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty much like all shows and all uh, music stuff and just everything for me is like the same guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, we have a manager, so he, I could just report to him only and then like he could talk to everybody. But I mean, I've had this relationship with her label since before I met her manager and uh, we're all like friends outside of the, the industry as well. So it's, it's really not like, it doesn't really get super emotional or heated and we've all like, you know, we're, we're all way past that in our lives and careers and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do sort of what Misha does sometimes and like help people like other people produce their albums? Cause like I went over to Misha's once and he was like helping animals as leaders, like write their next record. And I was like, wait, I, yeah, I, was, I didn't yeah. know this was a thing that happened. Well, I mean, Misha actually like the first animals as leaders record is, is like half Misha. Like the demos for that album, they sounded like Aphex Twin or something like that. It wasn't <laughs> going to be like a metal project. And then I think it was Misha's idea to make it a metal project. And then if you listen closely, now that Misha and Tosin are both very well known, like you can hear, you can literally hear Misha playing a guitar solo and then it's switching to Tosin. And then switch, you can like, if you know their sounds, you can hear Misha playing. So <laughs> then I think after that, they did their next album with Naveen which is our old drummer and then i think i think javier did the one he's the other guitar player i think he did one album i think diego did one of their songs um and then now i think yeah now i think they're going back to misha to kind of get that old vibe back and because i think misha's in los angeles with where tosin is so yeah that's, that's my speculation i haven't actually asked them about it but so to answer your original question i have um worked on a few bands singles and i started writing for other bands within the last year or two but i haven't done any albums yet how does the writing process differ if you're writing for another band because like don't like i don't know to, for me like i sort of do like my thing right and if i have to write something for another person it's just inevitably probably going to sound like me anyway uh oh. so how does like, how does that work? Like, how do you like shift your mindset to be like, okay, I'm writing for like a different project that has to like, you know, utilize these different sort of ideas and stuff. Oh, so I check it. I, I, I love doing this actually. Like, I hope that I get more opportunities in the future because it seems to be working out well. But what I do is I just find my favorite song by, by that band or like I listen to their most popular songs and then I take the one that I like the most and I'm like, okay, I know I, I like I dissect it. It's like I know what this song is. Now my job is to try and make a better version of this song. And and so I write specifically trying to sound like that band, but like with a version of it that I like personally. You know what I mean? Because mm. it's like yeah. it's like the things that people put in their songs that I think are imperfections that are what make those songs their songs and gives them their personality. And those are the things that other people like about them. So it's like all my little imperfections that I like to add to songs are like what give me my own sound. And I feel like that's, that's, I don't know if that's just what it is. Like, I'll be like, Oh, they hit the wrong note or whatever. <laughs> the song's like the most popular song in the world. So <clears throat> I'm wrong. Not the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like, um, that's kind of why I do collabs. It's, uh, 
it just gives me um it, it sort of makes me it allows me uh to feel like i can do like somebody else's sound without being disingenuous about it you know yeah whereas like if i were to do their sound uh without them being on the collab or whatever i would feel like i'm ripping somebody's sound off but like because it's a collab with them i'm like oh it's okay to do because it's like with them yeah yeah that's the other thing is like all the things that that you don't like about your writing you have somebody else to like kind of fill it in or also be like actually that's pretty sick dude leave that part <laughs> in there. cool we can do something with that right like, or I also um you're not as like liable for blame if like people don't like the song or whatever because it's like not your name on it specifically yeah yeah like i got to write a song with the band dance gavin dance and um they like they had a completely different writing process than what my band does since like i primarily write all the instruments before showing it to everybody but for it they they flew me out to the guitar player's house and then me and him just wrote the riffs you know i would say in the course of maybe two hours we put together all the guitar riffs and then we just made like like a shitty a scratch track of just the guitars, like not playing them good or anything. Then we gave we sent that to the drummer, and then he wrote drums. The next day we had band practice with the drummer, where we jammed the song that we wrote as a band. We recorded that on an iPhone, sent it to the bass player. The bass player is a studio, so we went to his studio the next day and actually recorded the song. And then they sent that demo to the through their vocalists and then i didn't hear from them hear anything about it for like you know three or four months then i'm flying home from from england and then i get that mix and it's like it it was such a magical i was so impressed it is so like it was so much better than what i was expecting and i i mean i just never had that feeling of writing a song and then having it turn out to be like so much better than what, than what i originally pictured it as uh, yeah, that's sick. And when you do those kind of sessions, um, are you generally getting paid from the band just by the session or are you like sort of just getting a writing credit on the song? Um, well, th that that's, I think that depends on the situation. This was something that like I had almost like volunteered to do just because we were good friends and we had been touring a lot. So like I could have just been drunk with them in Europe or something and been like, dude, like you guys should have me on a song. I'll, I'll do it for free. I'll write or whatever. And like, and they, and they took me seriously and it actually happened. But like, say if I was like, you know, if there was like a, I don't know, like a, like a rapper that wanted me to make them a beat that I didn't know, then I'd be like, yeah, I would ask for maybe a percentage of the royalties or, or pay me for a beat or something. But for a situation like helping like a very good friend out, like I, that's not as important to me unless it's going to be like like a radio arena song that's going to be in a movie or something. Then I might want a little cut. But yeah. this, this like the, the fact that they asked me to do it means so much to me personally. Like I, I could care less about the money. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Dance Kevin Dance is fucking sick. Yeah. Um, What's the metal scene like in Europe? I mean, I've, I haven't spent a lot of time, if basically any, in Europe, so I have no idea what the music scene is like over there. But I've, I, I know that there's, they've got that, like, massive metal festival over there called, like, what is it Wakan? Yeah, Wakan walk in, walk in and Download, they got and the Brutal Assault, and they have a bunch. And um, it's metals, it's, a, it's like a cultural thing out there. It's It's... it's it's big it's way bigger i think for us it was harder for us to break through 
like, because, you know, like, we were more technical than what was popular at the time when we first came out. But it is one of the things I noticed that is uh, <laughs> that you go there, the bigger you get, no matter what. Whereas I feel like in America, if you tour too much, people kind of get spoiled and kind of get sick of seeing you every show. Like, I wouldn't say your numbers go up if you tour, like, like once if you play a, a show in a city once every month like it might not be bigger numbers every time whereas if you do that in europe it's going to grow incrementally every single time like mm. where it spreads the more you go there the bigger you get and i was i was like at the point where i wanted to start going two times a year and then this happened because <clears throat> i'd rather be big in europe than in america i feel like it's more sustainable uh why why do you think that they just i just think that they take they take care of their artists differently like i would say like you know how well i don't know like we we're not used to getting treated like we show up to a venue and then there's a meal waiting for you and they cook dinner for you and they i mean then there's like there's just i don't know it's just it's it's just a different vibe it's weird <laughs> I feel like the metal scene, at least for the green, the metal green rooms I've been in, uh, I generally like that. There's like catering and all sorts of shit. And like, yeah. alternatively for DJing, it's like the green room is just like, yeah, here's a couple of waters, fucking yeah. go play well, your yeah, damn also music. Depends on what level of band or artist you are. I, I mean, because in America they'll do that. Like, if you're playing House of Blues, they're gonna feed you. But like, but I'm saying like for a baby band, like if you're going to Europe for the first time and then you're playing for a hundred people, they're still going to serve you breakfast when you get to the venue and still give you a case of beer and they just they care and they take care of everybody. Damn. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The other cool, cool thing or crazy thing about being in metal bands that I've noticed is like you rock up to venues super early in the day. Like I get to, when I'm playing a show, I get to the venue at like 8 PM, 9 PM at the earliest. Oh yeah, well we have to set up all the stages, every band in order, you know, and make sure all the gear fits on stage, and then make sure everything turns on. Everyone has like a pre-sound check because the the sound engineer has to tune every room, like, <laughs> and then and then run their mix, and then yeah, there, there's like you know the, the changeover times are pretty quick sometimes since we we have to <clears throat> that and make make it easy to get all of the old band's equipment off so the new band could just start their set right off the bat. Yeah, I remember when I saw you play with um, Animals as Leaders in Boulder and you were saying that they sound checked for like eight hours or something like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that must have been early on in the tour or something. I forget what was going going wrong with they Like, they had some, yeah, there's like some like technical issue. It could be like one cable out of a thousand cables and you have to find out what that one cable is so your show can happen. Damn. Yeah, it's insane that, that they just would sound check for that long. It's like so foreign to me. Yeah, yeah. I've played um, in total ever. I've played like two metal shows as a guitarist in a band and then my band broke up and then... uh did you get to play play out of a pa system or were you just like yeah yeah it was like a proper like show well yeah there was like i don't know maybe 100 people at the shows or whatever um i definitely just started playing at like churches and vfw halls that didn't have a pa <laughs> like yeah just like out of your amps and shit and... oh yeah for, <laughs> for... <laughs> so it's just crazy to watch this actually turn into an actual scene you know because when we first started, people didn't take it seriously. I remember like my first guitar, 
was this company right here. It's called Washburn, and they're based mm -hmm. out of Chicago. And um, their rep made me trade him my guitars to give me guitars. He actually got fired for doing this, but he like his his whole deal was ripping off. He's like, oh, I'll just give them a guitar. They gave me guitars, and then he would sell the guitars that I gave him on eBay. And so he would make money off of my shit, and then and and I'd technically be endorsed. But, Wait, um, how does this work? Yeah, I don't know. It, it was definitely illegal. He got fired. But, so um, he he would give you a Washburn guitar. Yeah, and then, and then I whatever guitar I was using, and then that was like how, that. That was how I was convinced endorsements worked. And then um, I remember I was in the studio, and he happened to be in LA, like like because I'm from the Faceless, and he was on the same company. And dude told me to my face, he's like, "Look, man, you're in a side genre of a side genre. Your your band's never gonna like really make it. <laughs> like I, I can't be wasting time giving you guitars and all this. And that's just like." That was so normal for people to say that to me. Like, it's like, okay, like, I get it. You don't think we're going to sell that many albums, but I'm still, I'm going to try my best to make the best possible music I can make and get it as big as I can. Like, or else what am I doing? I'm going to try. You're, you're not going to discourage me. And what, is, what does that even, what's up? What does that mean, a, a side runner of a side runner? Like, what is even that in metal? Because I feel like for me, and I might just not understand the genre enough. But for me, like metal is basically metal, right? Like there's simpler metal and there's more technical yeah. metal. But like, I mean, what is, what is the difference to the fan? Like does the fans, is there a different fan base for people who like the more technical stuff like you and animals as leaders and, and whatnot versus like the maybe, I don't know, what is like, like I guess the, the pop in metal is Metallica, right? No, no, I would say the pop in metal, like, I mean, it depends on what, what, year you're talking about because like right now we consider it to be called active rock and it's like you know like bands that sound like nickelback or or stuff like that um active rock a thrash metal band before they got to radio rock so it's i don't know but this guy's just an older guy so he's like you know like iron maiden's real metal and like you're playing <laughs> you're playing metal with breakdowns so that's like a subgenre, and then you're doing these really weird like breakdowns with technical stuff so that's like a subgenre of a subgenre and i guess like it, it's funny now because to explain that very like earlier you said like you're making like a genty sound and these that word didn't exist yet because that's that would be a subgenre of a subgenre of a subgenre you know like people right. were saying words like that because that wasn't the norm we were kind of inventing like what ended up being like uh everyday words <laughs> household words maybe. yeah how often do you need to deal with someone in the metal industry who's like one of those ponytail guys with like the ripped jeans and the slayer shirt and like <laughs> dude like not recently but i mean almost every day like that's just fucking egg brother yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing about europe i can say is like when they see people like me, the European compliment is is a thing that every metal musician knows about. Well, they'll be like, you know, like the last one that I remember getting said to me was, um, you don't look like much, but you play guitar cool. <laughs> like, oh, like, thanks, dude. <laughs> Wait, like, all of their compliments start with like a neg? Yeah, yeah. And they have a huge smile on their face, like so positive. Like they couldn't wait to tell you. It's like, like you're bad as shit, but my girlfriend thinks you're hot, you're hot or something. And they're like, can I take a shirt in size M? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like they'll just be like, oh, like, 
you know, you sound much better on CD, but nice try. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. like typical shit that they'll say to you is like, that's like not even a compliment at that point. That's like a fucking straight up diss. <laughs> yeah, we call it the European compliment. Like anyone in a band knows about it. Just <laughs> ask about it. They're great. That's crazy. Um, yeah, the other crazy thing in metal is like the merch situation, right? Like that's a definite thing yeah. that does not happen as much. I, I mean, it dep depends on the act. Like, um, for instance, there's a uh, dubstep act called Ganja White Knight who are just fucking massive. And um. I was in a green room with them once and their manager came in and was like, Oh, we put the pins on sale. Like, I don't know, an hour ago and they're already all sold out. And they were like, wait, fuck, we just sold like 5,000 pins in an hour. And then they were like, Oh, uh, well, I get it though, because there's those kids that wear the hats and dumb stuff exactly, and they yeah. pins on their hats. Dude. <laughs> yeah. So there's some acts like that who can just like, they'll make specifically like a limited edition, like pin or something just for that show. So it's like the only way you can get it is if you're at that show. Um, and then they'll just like sell out instantly. It's like another way, I guess, to get like an extra 50 bucks per person from, from the show out of the ticket sale is like also give them a limited edition thing to buy at the show. Uh, and then there's like acts like excision or whatever, who obviously can just sell tons and tons of merch. But, um, you know, for somebody like me, it's like, I've done, I've done merch on one tour and it was like not worth the amount of space it took up in the van to bring all of that merch. Yeah. I, I, I would definitely, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's way more of like a fashion statement to like wear a metal shirt. Like I wouldn't say like my band, for example, but like, like the, the hardcore bands, like if you have like a real hardcore band, like no bullshit, then you're not a poser. So if you wear that shirt to a show, like it makes you look like you have like integrity and that you're hard and whatever. If you have like a real cannibal cork shirt or like a real, like, you know, just like if, I mean, the, the equivalent for this in the electronic music scene is a truth hat. There you go. Like some sort of elitist kind of thing that like when you go to shows, you're like, well, that guy knows what's up. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Every shirt. So he knows more about black metal than or whatever, you know, that just people. And then like, I'll go on stage wearing like a tracksuit and make people mad. Whatever, but I don't know. I love that shit though. I always think it's hilarious when like someone in the scene is just like going against the grain of everything. Like, yeah, stylistically. Like, no, like it's like I've toured with suffocation before I've toured camera. <clears throat> like, they, they let, they're okay with how I dress, dude. Just, you know, it doesn't make me more or less metal. But, yeah. I mean, what is it that makes somebody metal? I think the, the stereotypical thing is like, if you have tons of like piercings and like tattoos and you wear like chains and like, that's a, yeah. that was dude that was where side chaining started when people were <laughs> like <laughs> and since then it's evolved to software but i mean i for me personally what makes someone metal is being able to hold a conversation and and being able to be honest be like oh i haven't heard of that and i have heard of this i mean just wearing a shirt and not knowing what band it is or like just wearing like all these things to look hard to me, it does, it's just a uniform. It doesn't show anything about your personality at all. It doesn't show, I don't know. Right, so you think a big part of being a metal fan is actually like knowing a ton of shit about it? Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's that's essentially all, it's all, all it really is. The rest of it is just fashion. I mean. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I guess that's kind of like being a fan of anything, right? Like being a big fan of like, you know, I don't know. 
like cooking or something like you probably know a ton of shit about it yeah but if i if i see like i mean you see rappers wearing metal shirts like all the time or fate like the kardashians wearing metal shirts like if you see Lil uzi vert wearing a veil of Maya shirt i don't think it's going to make my band bigger it's just going to look like he's wearing a metal shirt like i don't know i don't know like you don't think that you think they just wear it like they're, they're not yeah they're not actually like into metal or whatever I'm not saying they're not into metal, but like I, I don't think that little Uzi Vert like has every Cannibal Corpse vinyl. Like I just don't. You know? <laughs> yeah, true. Um, do you know of a band from Australia called Psychroptic? Oh hell yeah, we toured with them. Nice. Yeah, that was like the original shit that I that I was like into back in the day. Dude, that they were and so then so sick and just as a four piece man, they sound they sound awesome. Yeah, uh, is Cannibal Corpse also Australian or? No, they're they're American. Oh, I gotcha. They live in Florida. Gotcha. Yeah, man, the South. That's the other cool thing about metal, man. There's like this whole Southern scene. Like, uh, is Lamb of God a Southern band? Um, they're from like Virginia area. So yeah, it's South um, enough, I guess. Yeah, it's like yeah, it gets there's mixed mixed kind of people in in that area. Yeah. Well, they have a song called Redneck, which is pretty good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I heard an interview with one of the guys from Lamb of God, and he said um, <clears throat> to do some of the vocal takes that he, he did, he would, like, run a lap around the block of the studio and then, like, run straight into the studio and, like, sing it all, like, puffed out and shit. Yeah. It's a pretty weird idea. I can see that just so, like because i mean if you if most of your time screaming is being in front of an audience running around you want to have that like adrenaline in your voice that that character quality like if you listen to like a lot of rappers that like you know maybe took some pills or smoked too much weed before going in you can hear it in their voice that there's just no um enthusiasm <clears throat> or confidence in it and it just sounds like whispering or whatever and i feel like the confidence is like a huge part of the performance and would, would and i think like maybe running around the block just gets his heart going so he's like yeah let's let's go ready yeah yeah or he'd be just yeah. be like i just got out of bed before that like you know it's hard to just be in instant screaming hype mode or something yeah true yeah i've heard about a bunch of like mostly when i was at university learning about audio engineering and stuff i like heard about a ton of weird tricks like this like another one was um for maynard uh out of tool they like to set his microphone up like uh sort of almost at the ground level like facing up towards the roof and he likes to lean over and scream down into it like into the ground basically oh that's kind of cool interesting yeah do you think tool is a jam band um they could be i think they're a unique band but like like on their latest album, I think I listened to it once, and it, it seems like it. I think what's cool about them is that the drums and the bass are the lead instruments of the band, and that mm -hmm. the guitar is like the least active member of the band, and then the guitar, the the vocals are almost just like like in the song, less than half the song has vocals in it, and they're just there with like little creative melodies here and there. Uh, yeah it's got, got this like super tribal vibe to it and the guitar is just like extra flavor and the the vocals yeah, are kind yeah, of like you know, electronic pads or something yeah it's like it's like some and it's like an exotic drum beat with like a fancy bass line for for a lot of it yeah there's a really cool song in the new album that's um like it sounds like just a synthesizer and danny carey playing drums which is pretty cool 
Yeah. So do you, do you think that they're a jam band? Or, I, I mean, mean could... I, so I don't fully understand what a jam band is, but like I've listened to a lot of jam bands at this point and I've listened to a lot of Tool and depends like on the album, right? Like I, I didn't think like, you know, Sober is like a fucking, that's a tune or like, uh, you know, Hooker with a Penis, like that's a sick, like that's a tune. Yeah. But, uh, um, you know, like the new album, a lot of it is like jammy as fuck. Like it seems very like it just meanders around and like. Yeah, I think that's just Tool. Like, I mean, to before this new album, Tool was generally classified as an alternative <laughs> rock band. Jam bands are band. They they put out records that are like, you know, kind of like, like I don't know, like rock, like light rock pop kind of shit. But then when they play live, they'll extend those songs. They're, they're essentially playing a DJ set, but as a band. So like they'll, they'll start playing one of their songs and then it'll turn into like a Pink Floyd song that everybody knows. <laughs> and it'll turn into a rap song that everybody knows. And then it'll turn into another one of their songs again. So it's, it's just instead of using CDJs or whatever, they just have their whole band. Like they, the whole band knows all those songs and then they feed off of each other's energy and they all change together. Mm. So that's, that's kind of the thing. Do you ever do anything like that uh, with Vale Maya? Like, uh, just extend sections of songs for for the live purpose? Or? No, we're we're all like playing along to a click track on a computer that has like samples loaded in. But um, me and Sam's first band together was a jam band in high school. Our first concerts were with jam bands because that was the only musicians we could find to play with. <laughs> we used to play like like Herbie Hancock songs. And then I joined the jazz band. We played fish songs and grateful dead songs. And like, those are the kids I used to hang out with when I was a kid. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Actually. I remember like the first time I heard that, um, that first album, I don't know if it was your first album, but the first album I heard from Vela Maya was, um, the one with it's not safe to swim and all of that stuff. Yeah. Like. Yeah, the comments collapse. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, um, yeah, and I remember thinking like, oh man, this is like pretty jazzy. And there's another band at the time that I thought was like kind of had a similar property called The Bled. Oh yeah, from Arizona. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of had like this similar type of just. It almost sounded like random note selection in the same way that jazz does, but then there's somehow like some overarching like riff in there that. Makes yeah. Sense. I. Yeah, I, I think. My the, my method of doing it was a little bit more intentional than theirs was probably, but what's crazy about music is it doesn't matter how much you know about theory, it just matters how it ends up sounding in the end, you know? Yeah, I always think that music theory is just like a good way of justifying what you did after you did it. I mean, yeah. you can write music from the theory perspective, but I don't think that's the way music should be really written. I think it should be written. And then like, if you want to really get down into the nitty gritty to figure out what you did because you liked it and you want to like reliably recreate it again or something, then yeah, sure. Like theory is great for that. But yeah. I think like, it's not a, not an amazing way to write music from the get go. Cause I mean, like that's kind of how classical music is written. Right. So. Yeah. It's so predictable. Like what I use theory as like a tool like I, I like to write in my head and if I'm hearing something, I, I could just be like, Oh, that's a I hear eight or seven chord coming next. And I just know the notes to do that. And that's essentially all it is. It's not like this isn't in the same key as this or whatever. It's more just like, Oh, like if it goes to this chord, I know the notes do that already. So I'm not just guessing, like I can just click it in instantly. Mm. Are you like a good improvisational player? Yeah, I'm pretty good at improvising. Um, I'm not like a jazz fusion guitar player but i i have been you know starting back up on my youtube videos and trying to get my chops back up 
Nice. Yeah, I feel like improvising on guitar is all about learning just the modes back to front. Because mm -hmm. like if you if you learn just like the classic thing that people do, I think on guitar, um, is just learn like the pentatonic scale and then just improvise using that, and it's like the most boring shit. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, th the thing is, is the pentatonic scale is inside of all the modes. You know, the modes just have two more notes added to them. To right. So, but yeah, I mean, so that's why it's a good starting point. I don't really use the pentatonic scale that much, but I guess in some way we're always using it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of true. Modes are super weird. It's just like recycling the same shit, but like starting from a different note every time. <laughs> yep, exactly. And I like, yeah, I know which ones I like and which ones I tend to avoid. And so... Yeah, now it's just writing with the, with with my brain and trying to forget all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a good uh, good way to look at it. Is like learn all the rules and then try to forget them, so the muscle memory is still like locked into the system, kind of. But so you have a little bit more like creative freedom and don't feel like your writing process is so rigid. Yeah, jazz is confusing because you have to learn each and every mode that works for each and every scale, and then you have to switch. So you have to have the chords like memorized or written out in front of you and you have to change what you're soloing on each chord. it doesn't just you can't just stay in one key the whole time yeah fucking fuck that do you do a lot of key changes in vela maya not so much but i do do them sometimes yeah it's hard to make key changes work hey like yeah yeah it's you gotta it's gotta if i mean if you have cool transitions i feel like you can make any two parts go together but th that's like those are my favorite things about songwriting is, is crazy transitions. Yeah. That's what I mean though. It's like, if you have like, I try to do this a lot in electronic music cause um, or in my songs. Cause I'll like generally the way I write is I just write like a ton of sections. Right. And then quite often I'll delete like almost all of them and just keep one and be like, all right, like that's the song there. The rest of them were just like kind of sound design shit. Same, and, like, yeah. Like I'll spend hours working on one thing and then I'll make a transition and the transition will end up being the song. <clears throat> yeah exactly but quite often i'll write like two sections where i'm like i can't decide like which one i want to be the song but it feels like they're related somehow and mm -hmm. i'll feel like the best way to combine the two is to like have a key change happen from one to a, the other but it's always like really tough to figure out like the bridging chords or whatever to get from one to the other yeah i i mean uh well i don't know if this would be your way of doing it but sometimes i listen to how it's done in pop music or whatever like i'll listen mm. to like a musher song and be like "Ooh, like i don't like the song but that was kind of smooth how how it changed from this to this to this like maybe oh, pop, pop music is sick man um yeah like max martin is like one of the craziest songwriters of all time i think and also um there's this other guy that i've been super into lately who goes by the name uh get your snack on but he's uh okay. His actual name is Tom Norris and he does like all of Skrillex's mix downs and like Zed and he's like oh. more of a more of a mix engineer, but he also um does a lot of like I think extra production and writing and he's a part of this act called Grey. Uh so they they like helped produce um that song The Middle by Zed, which was like massive and Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, no he... Ludwig Gorenson guy lately, check him out. Ludwig who? Ludwig Gorenson, he did the uh, the soundtrack for Tenet, and he did the Mandalorian. Uh, uh, no, I don't, dude. I didn't. I did not like Tenet. Really? Did you see it with subtitles? 
No, I watched oh, it. Watch, watch it again with subtitles. It's much more manageable. <laughs> Wait, why? Just because it's like it was really hard to tell what was going on for the the first watch through. Like, because the the vocal, I mean, like the voices were just so quiet and fast, and they only they only explain things. <laughs> kind of yeah, I just I thought like so many of the technique. I don't know. It seems just like the weirdest concept. It's like two fucking societies operating in different times, just like going against each other. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I I didn't watch it in theaters, so like I was able to to like you know rewind and rewatch parts till till it made sense. And then like just the amount of detail that they're paying attention to. It's like, well, like this, these people are going forwards and these people are going backwards. So like when you watch this scene, one person should be running this way and the other person should be walking like backwards or whatever. And they totally are in like every scene. It's all like, it's always perfectly mapped out. It's like they actually had to learn how to walk backwards to film. And there's that fight sequence where one guy's fighting forwards and the other guy's fighting backwards. And yeah. <laughs> film that twice and like learn learn it one one way forward and then we'll learn it again backwards that's i don't know that's just crazy to me yeah i'm looking at this guy's studio now it looks like he uses ableton yeah i'm pretty sure he uses ableton and maybe cubase and then he records all of his instruments so it's like he did that one song that's on the radio by like, forget like chance the rapper or something like that and no but Donald Glover, was that guy's name? Oh, uh, yeah. Was it a Childish Gambino? Yeah, he did that oh, one. Oh, he did This Is America. No, he did the Day and Night one. Or maybe he also, he also did This Is America. Yeah, so, and that's, yeah, that dude's killing it right now. Yeah, what the fuck, man? How, yeah. How, Check I him know. out, man. I, I'm into it. But, like, I think I think Rolling Stone did a, a article about how he made the soundtrack to Tenet, and I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, he also did, um... The soundtrack for Creed. Um, I haven't seen that yet, but he also did the soundtrack for Black Panther. Damn, this guy's done a lot of cool shit. Oh damn! So he worked with Kendrick on that, or right? He must have for Black Panther. Yeah, I thought Kendrick Lamar helped on the soundtrack for that. Yeah, music by Ludwig Göransson. Did Kendrick have anything to do with this? Yeah, Kendrick Lamar produced the film's curated soundtrack. Wait. But after a composer, weird, but yeah, weird, totally, yeah. It's literally like probably like a German dude, but he's like he's like our age. He looks like us, dresses like a hippie. Like <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, he's like thirty six years old, and he's like yeah, dude. It's like my kind of guy right there. So I've been into watching his videos lately. Nice. Oh, he has like a YouTube channel. Or? No, yeah, he's just been getting a lot of attention. So like his studio, he like you know open sessions and show how he made songs and stuff. Oh, cool. And he's got like a pretty, yeah, I'll have to watch some of them for sure. Yeah, it's pretty. Sick. Hey, man, I should probably go and eat some food because I woke up and then just did this podcast straight away without eating food. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. But yeah, man, it was awesome, uh, awesome catching up with you for sure. Dude, I miss you, dude. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, we got to do a writing session after COVID is not a thing. Oh, I would love that, man. Actually, I mean, if if you want, if I if I'm happy with the song, maybe I'll send it over and get get your take on it. See if yeah, you want to do something to it. Yeah, we could definitely do some shit over the internet for sure. Hell yeah, man. Sick, man. All right, have a good one. Cheers, brother. Good to see you. Yeah, you too.
Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at MrBillsTunes.com. Thank you. I know what I'm